Welcome into another episode of Behind the Catch Fence. I'm your host, David Hoffman, coming to you live from where else but the man cave in beautiful... Uh, I can't I can't try and sell Bigelville, Pennsylvania. I'm sorry. But anyway, it's a, episode 9. Sorry about last week's episode. I might have just screwed up the number uh, when I was talking, but hey, we are officially on episode 9. One more to episode 10, so this is going to be a fun one. But before I begin, I'd like to give a quick shout out to No Copyright Music on YouTube. They're the ones creating the music that I'm playing. It's obviously no copyright music, so it's free. I'd like to thank you guys for that. With me being a broke college student, I'm grateful for you guys. Go subscribe to them. No Copyright Music on YouTube. On today's episode, we have the Iowa 300 recap. I'll go over all the events that transpired in a Monday morning finish of a race. That was wild, to say the least. 2 at 2.30 a.m. was when the race officially was over, so that was interesting. I'll go over the results, uh, the standings overview, winners and losers of the week. I'll go over some IndyCar news currently happening right now. And shut your fuel cell. Dumbest Twitter comments of the week is back, y'all. Oh yeah, this is going to be fun. And with that, let's get right into it with the Iowa 300 race recap. The race was originally supposed to start at around 7.45 p.m. Eastern Time, but a large storm system would wreak havoc on the track, pouring down buckets of rain and bringing lightning in the area as well. After hours and hours of waiting, the drivers finally went out on track for pace laps around 10.45 p.m. Eastern Time. Toronto race winner Simon Pagino would start on pole, with fellow teammates Will Power and Joseph Newgarden starting right behind him in second and third. It would be a frantic opening stint with drivers jockeying for position up and down the grid. Rookie phenom Santino Ferrucci would impress everyone on the opening lap, flying around the outside, making it three wide and vaulting himself from 12th to 6th within three corners. The first caution of the night would come on lap 16 with a spin by Sage Karam and it would collect Felix Rosenquist as well. The two would resume with minimal damage. On lap 51, the caution would come out, but this time due to light sprinkles on the track, and the red flag would halt action on track for about half an hour. Once the race resumed, the action would begin to ramp up, with drivers getting antsy to run the full distance. Around lap 68, Santino Ferrucci would have a heated battle with Alexander Rossi for fifth, but the two would race clean, and Ferrucci would prevail for a short while. On lap 155, Simon Pagino would get up into the gray area on the racetrack, which is the part on the track that doesn't have any grip or rubber, and he would narrowly avoid the wall, losing precious spots from his top 5 running spot. Pit stops would once again be ever so crucial in gaining or losing positions on track, and it would only make the action on track more intense as the race wore on. On lap 190, Takuma Sato would get up into the gray area on the track, and Sage Karam would not be able to check up in time, and the two would collide. That crash would end both of their nights. On the following restart, a gaggle of cars would get into it mid-pack, trying to make up as many positions as possible, and it led to yet another moment in this race by Santino Ferrucci that left you speechless. Ferrucci would go high-wide and handsome on everybody and pass seven cars within one corner. And you're probably wondering, why am I talking about Santino Ferrucci in a race recap so much? Well, to be honest, he was the star of the show. It was absolutely insane, and I'll have more on that in a second. While all of that was going on, Joseph Newgarden was quietly dominating the race. During green flag pit stops on lap 264, the caution would fly due to an Ed Carpenter spin off of turn 2. On the final restart, the Iceman, Scott Dixon, would make a late race charge with fresh tires to get all the way up to second, but it wouldn't be enough to get even close to Joseph Newgarden. 
Newgarden will go on to win his fourth race of the season, extending his points lead to 29 over Alexander Rossi. And now as we look at the results, Joseph Newgarden was your winner, followed by Scott Dixon, James Hinchcliffe, Simon Paginot, Spencer Piggott, Alexander Rossi 6th, Zach Veach 7th, Graham Rahal 8th, Sebastian Bourdais 9th, and Tony Kanaan in 10th with his second top 10 of the season. So that was a great showing for AJ Foyt Racing after a absolutely horrible season to date. And now looking at the standings as we speak, Joseph Newgarden has a 29-point advantage over Alexander Rossi, followed by a 58-point advantage over Simon Paginot. Scott Dixon is currently 4th in points, only 98 points back of Newgarden. And then Will Power would round out the top 5 in 5th, followed by Takuma Sato, Ryan hunter Graham Rahal, James Hinchcliffe, and Sebastian Bourdais. Those are your up-to-date IndyCar standings. And now it's time for your winners and losers of the week, sponsored by... Oh, wait, I don't have any sponsors. <laughs> uh, whatever. Anyway, honorable mention for winners. I got to go with Zach Veach in our honorable mention. I so desperately wanted to put Zach Veach in as a number three winner, but there are too many outstanding performances this weekend. I'll tell you one thing, all the garbage Zach Veach had to go through right before the race began was absolutely nuts. I believe it was 45 minutes to an hour before the race officially began. Zach Veach and his team discovered a fuel issue, and it was a little bit of a fuel leak, so they had to take the car back to the garage, take it off the grid, and they had to try and fix it before the race began. And it was absolutely insane job by Andretti Autosport and by Zach Veach, all pitching in to get that car back out on the grid prior to the race. And what does Zach Veach do? He comes from his 20th place starting spot all the way up to 7th to finish out the race. And it was an overall great performance for Zach Veach. Still a young driver, still learning, still trying to get more reps under his belt. And to be able to finish 7th after that kind of almost disastrous night, that's a great run by Zach Veach. And you can't ask for anything else. It was a big confidence booster for Zach Veach. And hopefully he can continue to build this momentum and start cracking some top 10s consistently. And now moving on from our honorable mention, winner number three, Spencer Piggott for Ed Carpenter Racing. It's been a pretty quiet and dismal season for Piggott to this point, with only two top 10s coming into Iowa. He's had the speed throughout the season, but has been on the wrong end of luck for the most part. However, Piggott flexed his muscles and showed his true talent on Saturday night. Starting all the way back in 19th, Piggott methodically maneuvered his way through the field and battled his way up to a season-best 5th place finish. Piggott has thrived on the ovals, especially being in an Ed Carpenter racing car. ECR always performs extremely well on ovals, and going back to the Indy 500, Piggott had one of the fastest cars the entire month of May. I feel like Piggott has been underrated ever since he came into the sport. Back in 2016, when Piggott was a rookie for Ed Carpenter Racing, Joseph Newgarden was beginning his rise to stardom at ECR, and to me, Piggott was left in the shadows. The results haven't been exactly there yet, but with a little more luck and experience on his side, Piggott will eventually begin to see better results and consistency. Moving on to winner number two, James Hinchcliffe for Aero Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports. The mayor of Hinchtown had plenty of reason to have confidence going into Saturday night, being the defending race winner, as well as coming off two consecutive top 10 finishes. Starting from a season best of fifth, Hinchcliffe had another superior performance. Running in the top 10 for the entire night, the number 5 Aero Schmidt Peterson Motorsport team kept making their Honda better as their race went on, and by race end, found themselves on the podium for the first time this season. Hinchcliffe has really hit stride these past couple weeks, and with three consecutive top 10 finishes, his fortunes have changed drastically from the first half of the season. Arrow Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport as a whole continues to improve as the season goes on, 
and with rookie Marcus Erickson continuing to show speed each week, confidence is at an all-time high. I firmly believe Hinchcliffe is going to win at least one race before season's end, and it might just happen this weekend at Mid-Ohio, where he has an average finish of 9.7 and plenty of momentum on his side. Moving on to our winner number one, drumroll please. The Iceman Scott Dixon for Chip Ganassi Racing. Starting from 8th, Dixon was looking for another consistent and trouble-free night. However, the exact opposite would happen. Once the green flag dropped, Dixon's struggles would begin with complaints of the car feeling like he was running on used tires all night, resulting in a loose, ill-handling race car. Dixon found himself a lap down all the way back in 19th at the race's midway point, and all hope seemed lost for the five-time champion. Dixon would narrowly avoid going two laps down, and he would get back on the lead lap with 100 laps to go. Dixon would go down a lap again with 53 laps to go, and the never-ending night seemed to get worse by the lap. However, a timely caution before Dixon had to pit would leave the Iceman running second with 47 laps to go. Strategist Mike Hall would call Dixon down to the pits for four fresh tires under caution, and Dixon would begin his insane last stint charge to the front. Restarting from fifth, Dixon flew by his fellow competitors and finished an improbable runner-up finish, keeping him in the championship hunt. Nothing phases Scott Dixon, and no matter the circumstances, he'll always find a way to dig himself out of a bad day and make it into an outstanding day. Saturday night was yet another incredible, jaw-dropping drive by the legendary driver, and he continues to prove that you can never count him out until the checkered flag drops. Ah, here we go. It is time for our losers of the week in Iowa, starting off with loser number three, Sage Karam. I've been a strong advocate for Sage Karam having a full-time ride in IndyCar, and after having a weekend in Toronto to get back into the swing of things after not having a ride since the Indy 500, Karam would be tabbed to drive for Carlin Racing in Iowa. Karam had decent speed going into Saturday night, and he was able to qualify a solid 14th. However, things would go south for the Pennsylvania native quickly as he would get loose coming out of turn 4 and spin early in the race. Minimal damage would allow Karam to continue, but he would be down 2 laps. To make matters worse, a crash with Takuma Sato on lap 190 would put an end to a dismal night for the 24-year-old. Karam is doing everything he possibly can to get more opportunities in IndyCar, and it just doesn't seem to be panning out the way he would have hoped it would to this point. Maybe a part-time schedule with Carlin next season would be beneficial in getting more experience, but I really don't know how many more opportunities teams are going to give Karam if he keeps having lackluster results. I really believe in the right situation, Karam can thrive and be a winning driver in IndyCar. But unfortunately, I feel like time is beginning to run out on a full-time ride for the foreseeable future. Moving on to loser number two, Takuma Sato for Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing. For the second consecutive week, a top five result for the Japanese driver goes down the drain. In the early going, Daredevil moves on the outside position Sato all the way up to second, but then as tire degradation began to become a factor, Sato dropped from 4th to 12th within 18 laps. Sato would muscle his way back up to second a handful of laps later, but then during green flag pit stops, contact with Sage Karen would be the demise of a potential top 5 finish. The past two weeks have been nothing short of frustrating for Takuma Sato, who's been having his best season ever in the IndyCar series. To look on the bright side, Sato's had the speed all season long, and if it wasn't for bad luck in races like Texas, Toronto, and Iowa, he'd be in the same conversation with Joseph Newgarden, Alexander Rossi, and Simon Pagano for the championship. Looking ahead, Sato should have a solid weekend in mid-Ohio, 
where he and the Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan team have had success there in the past. Man, oh man, here we go again with our number one loser of the week. I, I hate to do it to him again, but it's Marco Andretti. How many times has Marco been loser number one this season? It's become too many to count at this point. Andretti had his work cut out for him Saturday night, starting all the way back in 18th. He would run from 14th to 20th range for the majority of the early going, and then wind up going down a lap within the first 100 laps. Things would only get worse for the 2006 IndyCar Rookie of the Year, and in his own words, It was a nightmare of a night for us. I'm not exactly sure what happened, but we think we picked up some debris during that first yellow. The car was just never right after that. A real handful. We tried a few things, but just couldn't get it back. Andretti would end up retiring from the race on lap 205, after failing to maintain minimum speed on track in 21st. I really don't know how Andretti can digest these constant awful weekends and put it behind him week in and week out. It's an every week occurrence with this team, and there seems to be no end in sight. Andretti's 2019 season has been straight up forgettable. Four top tens, zero wins, zero podiums, and an average finish of 14.2. I sound like a broken record, but I really don't know how Andretti and his team will be able to turn it around. The thing that's puzzling to me is how the rest of the drivers at Andretti Autosport have shown plenty of speed throughout the season. Rossi is in the midst of a championship battle, Hunter Ray is consistently in the top 10, and Zach Veach has made major strides in his second full season in IndyCar. At what point do you start questioning Andretti's talent? I never want to question a driver's talent. Every driver in the field has a boatload of talent, it's just a matter of being in the right situation. I feel like Andretti needs a change of scenery if he wants to have any shot of resurrecting his career. And now my overall thoughts on the Iowa 300. This take may or may not change by the end of the season, but as of today, the Iowa 300 was the best race of the 2019 IndyCar season. Besides the fact that the race got rain delayed and didn't end until 2.20 a.m. Eastern Time, there wasn't a dull moment during the race that didn't have you engaged in the action. The never-ending side-by-side racing lap after lap was absolutely insane. IndyCard needs more short ovals on the schedule, period. It's great entertainment, and it's arguably the best type of racing you can get in IndyCar. Watching Santino Ferrucci send his Honda in between two cars and forcing it three wide on the outside was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. A little side thought on Ferrucci. He has the total package of being an IndyCar champion, and I believe he'll have the same type of success that Alexander Rossi has had. Don't be surprised if Ferrucci gets a big-time deal with a big-time team in the next two years. The kid has that it factor, and he's the next big thing. Mark my words. But going back to the race action overall, it was constant thrilling action, and I can't get enough of it. I really believe with this new era kit that IndyCar could go back to a place like Richmond or Milwaukee and be able to put on an absolute thriller of a show. And especially with having Gateway on the schedule too, that, that brings action every single season. And it's been great for the sport. And I feel like to be able to balance out everything with ovals and having street courses, road courses, all the above, I feel like if you want to balance it out even more with ovals, you want to throw in a couple short ovals. And I believe if IndyCar can add, you know, Milwaukee and Richmond possibly, onto the schedule, then we got ourselves a heck of a schedule, and we'd be in for an absolute thriller of the season. Moving on to some IndyCar news, R.C. Enerson will drive the number 31 Lucas Oil School of Racing Chevrolet this weekend at Mid-Ohio for Carlin Racing. 
It's a great opportunity for Enerson, who last drove for Dale Coyne Racing in 2016 for three races, with a best finish of ninth at Watkins Glen. And probably the biggest news of the week, according to a recent report by NBC Sports, all signs are pointing towards Alexander Rossi staying with Andretti Autosport. His father and agent, Peter Rossi, told NBC that although he won't eliminate any team currently under consideration, he listed the three most important criteria that Rossi is considering. People, relationships, and an environment where he can win races. Rossi's father also said, We expect to make a significant progress before we get to mid-Ohio. Side note with this story, Andretti Autosport is reportedly close to a multi-year deal to keep Honda as their engine partner. I think that's huge news for IndyCar if Andretti Autosport and Alexander Rossi can agree to a, a multi-year deal and it will keep the balance of competition in IndyCar for a while. I think the key thing in this deal is as long as Honda stays with Andretti Autosport as their main engine partner, Rossi ain't going anywhere just because Honda is Alexander Rossi's go-to, it's who he runs for, and if Andretti Autosport can keep Honda as their main engine provider. I think Rossi will be announced as their driver going forward for a long time here soon. Oh yeah, it's your favorite segment of the week here on Behind the Catch Fence. It's Shut Your Fuel Cell, dumbest Twitter comments of the week. As you know, I scroll through Twitter comment sections, which in 2019 is the last thing you ever want to do. And I'll read some of the most ridiculous ones across the IndyCar social media community. First off, we got this guy named John. He tweeted out to Lee Diffie during the Iowa delay. Apparently, at Lee Diffie, idea of we'll get to racing in just a few minutes is 20 minutes and counting. Thought he was better than that. Hashtag disappointed. Man, is Lee Diffie a meteorologist? No, he's in the IndyCar booth covering IndyCar. So, why does it matter if he he's trying to keep the fans engaged and involved and keep them at their TV so they don't switch the channel or just straight up go to bed? It's simple. Like, you have to sell the race, even if you know that there's going to be no racing for a while. You have to sell it like the race is going to come back within 20 minutes and they're going to get back underway. It's just the way it is in the TV business. And, you know, it's not like Lee Diffie was trying to give fans false hope. He was just trying to lighten the mood and, you know, give them... Just the slight chance that, all right, you know, we're going to get back here soon. Don't worry. Blah, blah, blah. That's as simple as that. Now, here's another kind of creepy one. This guy, I'll call him Jimmy. Jimmy uh, wrote to Alexander Rossi on Twitter. He said, at Alexander Rossi, why can't you just bill yourself as Alex Rossi? Why is your full first name totally necessary? I don't think it is. I was bored James, but hate being addressed as such. I'm Jim. Best of luck, Alex. Who who really cares what Alexander Rossi goes by? Like, I don't care if you call him Alex, Alexander. You know, it's just, it's become normal to call him Alexander. That's just what he goes by for the most. I mean, I've seen, you know, his closest friends call him Alex, Rossi, whatever. But it's, you know, it's just, it flows better. You know, from my perspective, Alexander Rossi flows better. And honestly, who really cares about your opinion on why and what Alexander Rossi goes by? That's just straight up stupid. I, like, that was one of those things you're scrolling through Twitter and you're like, oh, you are got to be kidding me. What idiot says this type of crap? But anyway, I'm going to move on to that before I get on my soapbox. Now, this was pretty interesting. This was not on Twitter, but while I was on the racing reference for IndyCar looking for stats and everything else, there's a comment section that people, anybody can, you know, write a comment about a driver 
And this was a comment back from May 9th of 2012 on James Hinchcliffe's profile for RacingReference.com. This person, I'll call him Ray, Ray said, I don't know, I've met this kid. His driving is average and his personality is well below that. Not sure he belongs in racing. What the heck, Ray? Dude! Man, you gotta eat your words now, bro. Like, first off, the fact that you're saying that James Hinchcliffe would not make it in racing because of his driving? Man, he wins a race almost every single season, and if it wasn't for, you know, bad luck, he'd be easily in the championship hunt every season. And that's in an Schmidt peterson Motorsport car, which is still on the rise, and they're still trying to get resources and everything else. The thing that surprised me the most and made me laugh out loud is the fact that this guy said that James Hinchcliffe's personality was below average. That makes absolutely no sense. Those two... Average personality and James Hinchcliffe do not go together, period. There's a reason he's been most popular driver multiple times in the past five years. There's a reason he has such a huge fan base, and I'll say I'm a fan of James Hinchcliffe. He's, you know, if I had to choose one, obviously, I'm going to go James Hinchcliffe. He's got the total package. There's a reason why he's on Honda commercials. There's a reason he was on Dancing with the Stars. There's a reason he's always going on the, the national television networks to promote the sport, because he's a great promoter for the sport. He's easy to look at, obviously, the dude's handsome. I'm going to admit it, yeah. He's got the great beard, he's got the great hair, he's Canadian. I mean, who doesn't like Canadians? And that's <laughs> the fact that you say James Hinchcliffe's personality is below average. This was back in 2012. I don't know what Hinchcliffe did to you or what grudge you have on him, but man, Ray, you got to shut your fuel cell, period. Like, I... I'm still baffled. How could anybody say James Hinchcliffe's personality is below average? Oh my gosh. I live for those kind of comments. Like, I haven't had a loss of words right now, so... I'm just going to go into the preview of Mid-Ohio. Next week, the NTT IndyCar Series heads to the historic Mid-Ohio sports car course. With Alexander Rossi's dominating win last season at the track, he looks to continue that streak and narrow the points gap. Will any of the championship contenders rise to the occasion, or will Graham Rahal steal a win at his home track? Make sure to tune in for the Honda Indy 200 at Mid-Ohio on Sunday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on NBC. By the way, guys, I will be in Mid-Ohio from Friday until Sunday after the race, so it's going to be a heck of a weekend, and I can't wait. It is currently Thursday at 5.13 p.m. Eastern Time. Just got off of work about two hours ago, you know, kind of dead inside from that garbage of a job. But hey, you, you can't go wrong with some IndyCar action for a full weekend. Some interaction with the drivers. Oh yeah, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> and FYI. My dad and I, we're not going to sleep in a car in front of a freaking convenience store. We do have a hotel this time. We have a hotel. It's going to be, you know, five, six hour drive. Not too bad, you know, whatever. Not like it's a 24 hour, you know, round trip fiasco. It's going to be a great time. Uh, great weather expected. Sunny all weekend. You know, mid to high 80s. Not too shabby. I'll, I will have plenty of stories to give you guys once I get back from mid-Ohio. I mean, I don't know when I'll record the podcast, but... It will be out next week, so look forward to that. Hey, I might have to just call Alexander Rossi. Uh, yeah, you know, Alex, uh, I might, may or may not just call you Iron Gonads Rossi on my podcast. <laughs> That'd be interesting to see his reaction, but, but it is about that time that I finally leave you guys. But before I go, make sure to follow this podcast on Twitter at Behind Catch and Instagram at Behind underscore the underscore catch underscore fence. That could be a wrap, to be honest. I'm not going to bother rapping here or doing freestyle right in front of you guys, so thanks for listening. I'll catch you guys later.